0: We want to come here and represent the Buffalo Bills, the organization of Western New York, the Bills fans across really the world and show people who we are and how we do things and just the level of class that we try and present ourselves with on a day-to-day basis. And and again, the result's important, yes, but it's certainly important. Um, We put a lot of time into it, but I'm just anxious for people to see what the Bills stand for and how we do things, including our fan
1: base. That is Bills head coach Sean McDermott as the Bills take on the Jaguars tomorrow for us in the morning. 9:30 Eastern kickoff. We'll have pregame started at 6 a.m. Yours truly, along with Zach Jones. And Tanner will be here too with us to get your party started right for Bills and Jaguars tomorrow. This is going to be football in the morning for us here on WGR. I will waste no time and bringing in one of my favorites, Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings, as he is on the Her Hotline with us to talk some Bills. Bruce, um, I guess I'll say top of the morning to you. That's that's Londony, right? I think we should at least get in the habit of saying it. <laughs> top of the morning to you. Top of the morning to you. Bruce, it was – I think the way I say it is – The Bills got the got their story straight for the national media last week in what was just a dominant win over Miami. Everyone, you know, rightfully so talking about a historic Dolphins offensive performance a couple weeks ago. And the Bills going ahead, not only putting the kibosh on that, but reminding everyone that uh, Miami has some work to do on the other side of the ball.
0: Yeah, I think that was always going to be the Achilles heel of the Miami Dolphins. I think it's one of the reasons why you bring in a respected defensive coordinator like Vic Fangio in the offseason, because you think, okay, if the personnel can't necessarily be completely revamped in one offseason, maybe we can at least get a defensive coordinator who will help us work with the personnel inside the building already to give us a more productive defense. And that just hasn't proven to be overly successful thus far I think one of the things is that Vic Fangio's system is so widespread now in the NFL that offenses around the league have I don't want to say caught up that's not the right word but they have developed a counterpunch to one of the things that Vic Fangio has historically done and that's he was the predecessor of hey we're going to rotate back to too high right? For a long time there, the Seahawks and the Legion of Boom, everybody wanted those long rangy corners. They wanted to play cover three. That's what they wanted to do. And then offenses would counter with these big, deep over routes that would affect cover three. And then defenses of course pivoted from that to the two high shell that you've seen with Vic Frangio's defenses. And now offenses have learned to be more patient. They've learned to play seams. They've learned to go 12 personnel. They learned to run the ball, things like that. And so it's going to be interesting to see what the next evolution of defenses is to this, because it's always a punch and counterpunch thing. And it might be a situation where Miami was just a little bit late to the game. They brought on Fangio after everyone had already developed an anti-Fangio weapon.
1: That is a, it's an interesting look at that because of the fact that he has been uh, so successful throughout this league, but then, Hey, everyone was saying last time, Josh Allen faced a Vic Fangio defense, he ripped it to shreds. And it's more of the same there. Uh, so it's a pretty good outlook on just how widespread um, a coach's legacy could actually end up being a bad thing for you um, when there's enough tape on it.
0: Yeah, it, it's a, I think we don't think about it this way, but it's a little bit like boxing or MMA in the sense that sometimes there is a newfangled a new thing, right? There's a new... Thing that people get excited about. There's a new strategy. There's a new strike. There's a new technique. Um, in, in MMA, a lot of people, you know, it's low leg kicks that they're going with this, right? It's an idea that you can chop someone out underneath you. And then there's going to be a counter to that where people are going to start keying off low leg kicks to make sure that you're stationary. You're going to get straight rights and things like that. And so there's always this punch and counterpunch, sometimes very literally speaking, in the in the instance of, of MMA. And it's just like that in offenses and defenses too. So, I absolutely didn't like Miami getting Vic Fangio because I think it's an upgrade, but it might be a circumstance where, yes, you got something we've seen that before and you don't have elite level personnel to make it something that's elevated, something that's different, something that, yeah, you've seen these before, but you haven't seen it with these players before. And that was might have been what was necessary in order to take Miami's defense to from, Hey, we kind of need to work around it to, hey, this is something we can win games with, and that just hasn't happened.
1: Bruce, uh, the other thing that uh, I'd seen, I had seen, I do believe this was you that tweeted it out on Sunday, about um, how the Bills did off-script. Uh, when it came to on-script, both offenses were flawless, those first two drives, and then it was what they did off-script, both offensively and defensively, where the Bills were able to remain dominant, and easily one of the best coached games we've seen from this group.
0: Absolutely, and one of the things that we were constantly getting on Josh Allen about post-week one, rightfully so, was his inability or refusal to play within the system, right? Everything was hitting your back foot, panicking, scrambling around, going hero ball, trying to make something happen. As a general rule, if Josh Allen is doing that more than five or six times a game, that's probably really bad. Like, that's probably a really bad thing. You don't want to put on your cape on every single down. Sometimes you just go to your job in Metropolis, working at the, the newspaper and the Daily Planet, and you're just Clark Kent. And that's fine. You just go to work. You go to your 9-5. to five, You punch in, you punch out. You're not putting on your cape every second of every day. And that was a big part of the Bills offense against Miami. So much of it was inside script. So much of it was inside the structure of the offense. Now, Josh Allen still did Josh Allen things. And that's the thing. That's the thing that can separate you from a team that has Tua Tagovailoa as their quarterback from a team that has Josh Allen as their quarterback. One of the things that Kyle Shanahan, coach of the 49ers, said after he faced Josh Allen on Monday night is there are simply a few plays that players like that can make that can win or lose you a game that other people can't make. And that's one of the reasons why they traded up and got Trey Lance because they thought, I need a player like Josh Allen. Now, Trey Lance clearly didn't end up being a player like Josh Allen, but it's those extra five or six plays. Again, Kyle Shanahan was like, listen, I have quarterbacks who can play with my offense. I've had my Jimmy G's that can play with my offense. What I need is I need those five or six extra plays, because no matter how good of a play caller you are, something is going to go wrong. Someone's going to miss a block. Someone's going to get covered up. They're going to call the perfect rock to your scissors. And when that happens, then you need to put on a cape. Then you need to be Superman. We don't need Clark Kent for this. We need to go around the world a bunch of times and turn back time because that makes total logical sense. And so Josh Allen's ability to only do that when it's necessary is extremely dangerous because then he's playing within an offense that is a good offense. You have Stephon Diggs. You have Dalton Kincaid, You have players. James Cook has played really well this year. You have players who can play within the system and do well. But then when things go badly, then you have Superman. And so you're sitting there there's a defense going, well, what am I supposed to do? If he plays within the system, he can still beat us. And in the rare cases we get him to play outside the system, then he beats us anyway. That's the exact recipe you want as a Bills offense.
1: Bruce Nolan of Buffalo Rumblings joining us on the Western Hotline. Bruce, looking at the other side, um, obviously Josh Allen does Josh Allen things against Miami, and it's just almost heinously criminal at this point. But the big thing being, Just how good this Bills defense can be and has become. But then also at the uh, other side of it, the yin to the yang, uh, they also lose Tredavious White for the season again, um, unfortunately with that Achilles injury. So the big thing here being how impressive was the defensive play calling against the Miami offense that looked unstoppable, and how much of that success can we expect to see going forward throughout the rest of this year?
0: I think the big takeaway from the Bills' defense against Miami was how much they forced Miami to play left-handed. You're not going to be able to take a team and force them to play left-handed the entire game. But if you force them to do something they're not good at enough, then that's when the mistakes come, and mistakes kill drives. And so Leslie Frazier and the defensive philosophy of the Bills the last couple of years has been based around the idea that you can't put together – 9, 10, 12 play drives without screwing up enough that your, your offensive momentum, your offensive play calling, your offensive down and distance was going to get behind. And so you can't put together those long runs. Somebody's going to mess up. Someone's going to drop a pass. Someone's going to blow a block. And when it happens, you're going to be behind. Sean McDermott is like, no, we're going to make you do those things, right? We are going to influence you to make those mistakes. And so for Tua, it's that we're going to make you hold the ball. And Tua has been known for the same thing that Tom Brady was known for in his time in Tampa Bay. And that is quick trigger, high A dot, which is those two things typically don't go together. That's one of the reasons why it's so explosive. It's lightning strike. It is. I'm holding the ball for 2.1 seconds, but I'm throwing it 10 yards down the field. That's a very dangerous combination. You can do that when you use fast motion, when you have players like Tyree kill and Jalen Waddle, if I can get you to hold the ball if I can say, no, 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 we're, we're not going to let you have that. If you want to beat us with a three-and-a-half-second play, tossing the ball down the field, you go at it. That's completely, I'm completely okay with that. I have made peace with everybody I need to make peace with. If that's the way I'm going down, then that's fine. But that's not what Miami's built to do. And so that is the highest compliment you can give to a defense is they take away the thing that you want to do. It's what we said about Belichick all those years. We said, he's going to make you play left-handed. Now, it looks like that's what we're seeing from this Bills defense, and that's very exciting.
1: So, one of the other things about this team that this defense has made them even more exciting than even in years past has been this pass rush has looked as good as we've ever seen it under Sean McDermott. Probably even the best we've seen it under Sean McDermott. And last year, we had a decent chunk of Von Miller. Miller may be coming back, and it might be at a very opportune time. Greg Rousseau not playing in this game. Shaq Lawson officially questionable. The depth is finally being tested, but they bring in Leonard Floyd. They see Rousseau stepping up. Von Miller will be coming back. This pass rush has been allowed to pin their ears back in a lot of situations, even with the fact that sometimes their run defense is suspect. They still cause you to have to see this pass rush in positive situations for them.
0: Yeah, it's a scenario where I think that the, the type of defense that you always wanted to see from Sean McDermott, I think the type of defense that I think Sean McDermott always wanted to see. Well, if you look back at his time in Carolina, his time in Carolina was built around a very aggressive front four that was primarily rushing from the interior with great players like, at the time, Starla Tule and his peak came on short. These were players that were penetrating from the middle, and then you had very active athletic linebackers on the second level. You had Luke Kuechly. You had, at the later time, you had Shaq Thompson. You had Thomas Davis. You had the people who were making plays on the second level, flying around and making plays on the ball. Ed Oliver and Daquan Jones have been absolutely stellar this year. Daquan Jones is getting double teamed at an incredibly high rate and is still winning his pass rush significantly. He still somehow doesn't get the respect that he deserves. All the focus is on the edges, but right there in the interior – That's where Sean McDermott wants to win. That's why you spend a top 10 pick on Ed Oliver. That's why you sign him to an extension. You think, nope, this is the year. It's totally going to come together. And it has come together so far. Ed Oliver has been every bit the player that we thought he was going to be when we drafted him the top 10, which is hilarious because he happened to have that after you signed him to an extension, which is not something you historically see from players. And so I think when it comes to pass rush, I think it comes from the vision of what Sean McDermott kind of always wanted to be. And specifically, it comes from the middle of that defensive line.
1: And in that middle of the defensive line, you mentioned that Daquan Jones isn't getting that respect. Well, if he's getting it from offenses, and you said being double-teamed, that's giving single matchups for all the edge rushers and Ed Oliver, which is just downright a pick-your-poison move with the two players in the interior between Oliver and Jones. Now, though, you're looking at no Rousseau, possibly no Lawson in the rotation, this could be a nice little put-up-or-shut-up day for A.J. Appanessa, who's primarily going to be there with Leonard Floyd in the rotation.
0: I agree. This is the reason why you spend all those assets. You go out and you consistently get people like this. This is the reason why you don't play one defensive end 75% of the snaps. I mean, the highest snap percentage on the defensive line for the Buffalo Bills at Oliver, right in the middle, which, again, tracks with the way that he rotated defensive linemen in Carolina. Where the three tech was the player who you essentially built this entire defensive line around. So it's all tracking with what he seems to have wanted all along. And this is the reason why you do it. This is the reason why you draft them over and over again. This is the reason why you sign them over and over again. This is the reason why you think your defensive line's okay and you still go and get Leonard Floyd because the whole thing hinges on your ability to get there without having to blitz. Last year, the blitz percentage of the Bills was actually shockingly higher than people would necessarily have thought because they weren't able to get there the way they wanted to with their four. And so the blitz percentage goes up. As the blitz percentage goes up, the ability to do the things on the back end in coverage, have the communication, be able to flood the passing lanes. Things like you did against Tua, that was not possible last year because you had to bring blitz to get pressure. You don't have to anymore. And part of that is because you've invested you've constantly went back to the well over and over and over again. I would be shocked if the Bills didn't draft another defensive lineman next year. And maybe because of the success we've recently seen, maybe people will respond more positively to it when they do it.
1: Absolutely. Bruce Nolan of Buffalo Ramblings joining us on the Western Hotline. The big one, though, of course, being Trey White's out again. And you hate to see it for the guy, uh, especially the person. There's probably – I can count on one hand people that I think brighten my day faster than Tredavious White, and you hate to see it for him and what he fought back from, and he was looking like he was finally back to peak Trey White form only to lose him again. Kyrie Elam has been a healthy scratch for every game this season. Obviously, he's going to be active now come game day, and the rotation between Christian Benford, Dane Jackson, and Kyrie Elam is going to once again have to uh, hold strong for this Bills defense.
0: I think this is the reason why you make sure that you have a player like Dane Jackson. It's because so much of what the Buffalo Bills do on the defensive end is about communication. I think we really, really, really overestimate the value of athletic traits and running in a straight line really fast in a Sean McDermott defense. I think that matters if you're a Rex Ryan defense, 100%. That's the reason why you want Stephon Gilmore and Ronald Darby as your corners in a Rex Ryan defense or a Jim Schwartz defense. But that's not the case. In a Sean McDermott defense, so much of it is about communication. So much of it is about making sure you are in the spot where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. It's about recognizing route concepts. It's about passing off routes. It's about not covering grass where you're just like, okay, I'm in zone. I got my spot. There's nobody within 15 yards of me. I'm doing nothing, but, but I'm here, right? Getting to your landmarks and understanding that Eventually, every single zone coverage becomes man. Like that's it, it, by its design it's supposed to be that way. And it's the reason why you have players – like Dane Jackson. And so if there were concerns about Kyrie Elam's ability to do that in this defense, it's time, it's time. Because when you look at the trajectory of Trey White's career and you look at the players in their career who have suffered an ACL injury and then have suffered an Achilles or vice versa, it's not positive. I don't think you can count on Tredavious White coming back and playing at a high level at this point. You need to know that, Hey, if we get that, awesome. That'd be fantastic. But I can't count on that at this point. And so because of that, hey, Kair, this is the reason why we spent a first-round pick on you. We believed you could be a player who could contribute. It's
1: time. And last one on the defense here before uh, before we keep going here. Man, Terrell Bernard, what can you say about him and his ability to create splash plays that I don't think I've seen Tremaine Edmonds match in a season, let alone five games into being the full-time starter?
0: Now he's been a revelation. There's no question. I think that when you went into this off season, you were like, okay, well, the Bills need need to make a move, and they just they just didn't. They drafted a linebacker that they, although they waffled on a little bit as far as weak side or Mike linebacker, they eventually said, yeah, he's a backup to Matt Milano. Essentially, they exhibited essentially no panic at the middle linebacker position. And I have no idea at this point if that's because they knew Bernard was going to be this good, or if they just got lucky, we're never really going to know. But the fact of the matter is, I will take it. I will 100% take it. Terrell Bernard has shown the ability to play loose and play with confidence. He's just running around making plays at this point. And that's exactly what you want from a linebacker. You don't want him paralyzed, paralysis by analysis is a real thing on the second level, especially when you play an offense like the Miami Dolphins, where they throw a ton of stuff at you, especially at the second level. He looked completely unfazed by this, which number one is a testament to him and his study habits. I think you see him with pictures on a plane. He's got his iPad there studying on the playbook, so good for him. Second off, it's a testament to how well-coached they are. It's a testament to Sean McDermott, that they were completely unfazed by any of the short motion that is now the you know, the in vogue around the NFL. Everyone's asking their offensive coordinators and head coaches in the press conferences, Hey, why aren't you using more short motions? Well, we don't have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. So, and so I think that that's a really important thing and seeing him make those splash plays. You always knew he was athletic. And he came with a stamp of recommendation from Dave Aranda, who was close with Sean McDermott, the Baylor head coach. And so you knew that they weren't shocked by what they got, but, I will take it whether it was luck or design. And
1: by the way, um, this isn't like to bury on Tremaine Edmonds, but his best season when it came to splash plays was his rookie year. Uh, two sacks, two for- forced fumbles, two interceptions. And Bernard already has two sacks, two fumble recoveries, two interceptions. So it's just another testament to what Bernard has been able to bring that was missing from the middle. Bruce, the offense, it's it's a little surprising to me to be able to say this. I don't think I expected James Cook to be the third linchpin of the bills offense heading into 2023.
0: No, I I think that's completely fair. The idea that the Buffalo bills have, haven't had a bell cow running back since LeSean McCoy. And it's not necessarily a bell cow now with James Cook, but I think he's getting a markedly larger volume than pretty much anybody expected. And I think part of that, because we all saw Sean McDermott early in his career When a young Devin Singletary was clearly outplaying Frank Gore, Deshaun McDermott's asked, why? Why are you still splitting? He's like, it's just not good for one person to carry the load. And so he essentially made a philosophical stance. And so we've just been trusting him on that philosophical stance all the way through. And so now you see the, the smattering of Latavius Murray and Damian Harris, but it's all situationally. It's all, hey, we want to do these types of things. We think they're better at this. We're going to go ahead and, and put this in. We need to make sure we got a, a better pass blocker in for this two-minute drill, so we're going to put Latavius Murray and so on and so forth. But James Cook has been a player that is being utilized like he's the most gifted running back, and he is the most gifted running back. And so you and I can look at this and go, man, it's, it, it's kind of a departure from Sean McDermott. You know what? Good, good, because forcing the ball to go to a player who's not as talented Strictly based on some philosophical idea is just not as good as just recognizing. Hey, uh, the more time my best players touch the ball, the better my offense will be. Sometimes we just make offense way too complicated. Just try to make sure the best players touch the ball the most. While we're on the subject, let's throw the ball to Dalton Kincaid a little bit more.
1: Cool. Yeah, that was actually going to be another point of mine here. Like, <laughs> I, as a certified hater of Ken Dorsey. I gotta say, he's been play- He's been calling some of his best stuff over the last couple of games, and even in the New York game until that handoff in overtime, I didn't think that it was a bad game from Dorsey either. So we are seeing a little bit of evolution from the Bills offensive coordinator, but like you were just about to mention there about Kincaid, this is still a very Stefan Diggs heavy pass offense. While that is great and I need that in my life, um, I do want to see a little bit more from the other aspects of this team, especially with Kincaid. The fact that he was drafted in the first round and everything that I'd heard was, oh, he's basically a receiver. No, when they negotiate his contract, it's going to be a tight end. But um, at the same time, you said you were going to use him. I
0: I think it's qualitatively the message. And so we can look at the trajectory of his targets and the trajectory of his receptions and be very happy with that. But if you look qualitatively at the functionality of his usage, the things he's being asked to do, he's being asked to do things as if he was a 275-pound in-line player. And what I mean by that is, hey, let's go ahead and chip. Let's be there one yard off the line of scrimmage as an outlet. Well, that's, that's awesome. But you're, you're really missing a chunk of what Dalton Kincaid can do down the field and contest catches being able to make plays down the field with that Utah offense. I mean, he was doing everything that used offense the reason you get him is because he's a receiver you don't need to draft a player in the first round and draft a player like Dalton Kincaid in order to get that type of play from him you could get that type of play from a lot of different players right you drafted him because he can do things that are different than the ways that you've been using him now I think that that's eventually going to going to come I, I don't think that this is time to panic it's been four games it's a rookie tight end I mean let's be honest where we should be very, very pleased with the fact that he's getting involved at all. It's just something to take into consideration when you are trying to nitpick, okay, where is there an opportunity for improvement? And I think one of the opportunities for improvement is, like you said, having a Stefan Diggs passing offense is great. He's one of your best players. You should give the ball a lot. But also, there is another aspect to this. You draft a player that you hope can be a secondary or tertiary pass catcher in more ways than just being utilized as an outlet. And that's what I'd like to see moving forward from this team.
1: Bruce Bills and Jaguars, obviously nine thirty a m the start time. so it's not your usual start time. you got anything different you're gonna mix in there for your uh for your pregame habits
0: not really uh, i'm gonna I'm gonna try and treat this as if it was just a normal Sunday because I always watch the the London games right mm-hmm. at, at nine thirty eastern and so for me. I just really, really want a W for more reasons than I usually do. Because the rest of the day, I have to watch football. So I start my day with Bills, Jags. And then I've got the 1 o'clock games and the 4 o'clock games and the late game. And all that is going to be a little bit less cool if the Bills don't win. So for me, it carries a little bit more meaning on a strictly selfish, emotional standpoint. But from a functional, logistic standpoint, just like any other Sunday.
1: Well then, let's hope like it's it, let's hope that it's just like most Sundays with this team, as they've been as good as they've been over the last couple of years. Bruce, thank you as always for your time. You know the next part of the drill here. Let them know where to hear you, where to read from you, everything of the sort.
0: You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. My show, The Bruce Exclusive, the podcast drops on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network every Thursday, and I do write pieces for buffalorumblings.com com as well.
1: Bruce, thank you again and as always for joining us on the show. And uh, enjoy your all-day football that starts with our Bills.
0: Absolutely. Have a good one.
1: Of course. Thank you, Bruce. And uh, Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings, joining us there on the West Her Hotline. I, I've asked this question at the start of the show, and it's where my mind has wandered a little bit, but I'm kind of I thinking it's just like one of those throwaways where where's your, who's your most heinous jersey? Doesn't have to be Bills or Sabres in particular, but like just the most heinous jersey you have. That's a question that we can answer all day for you on Twitter at Derek Kramer49 at WGR550. And I think our producer has a ridiculous answer to that question, but we'll get to that on the other side of this break. Derek Kramer, Tanner Saunders, we're here with you. Thanks for being with us. You're listening to WGR.
0: Listen to WGR Sports Radio 550 and thousands more, plus millions of podcasts, all on the free Odyssey app. Download it today.
1: We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof?